Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry. Thank you so much for joining us. We're in the midst of a series called Exploring Contemplation with St. John of the Cross, and we're using Father Donald Haggerty's book called St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation. That is the book we're using as the springboard of our conversations. Last week, in the third part of the series, we talked about the value of asceticism and the purification of the will. If you missed it, you may find it at www.carmeliteconversations.com. Today, in part four of the series, we will focus on the seven capital spiritual vices and also some preliminary remarks concerning the struggles that may occur during the transition to the deeper prayer of the gift of infused contemplation. To help me tackle these topics, I'm most grateful to welcome back my dear friend and fellow Discalced Secular Carmelite, Deacon Mark Danis. Hello, Mark. Hi, Francis. Great to be back with you. Looking forward to our conversation. Indeed, I am. And may the Holy Spirit help us because we start to get into... Um, a deeper mystical type of prayer. And I think what we talk about today will help prepare us to understanding that gift of infused contemplation. But before we get into our conversation, um, would you mind please leading us in an, an opening prayer? I would not mind at all. So let us recollect ourselves, bring ourselves into the presence of the Lord, knowing that he sees everything about our preparation and our current state of mind and is most willing to work with us to assist us in entering into this gift of contemplation until we ask heavenly father that you would open our hearts and minds allow us to be vulnerable before you and before what it is that we are being exposed to in the writings of this great saint in this modern master of contemplation in Father Donald Haggerty. We ask, Lord, that you might make us fertile soil to receive the lessons and to embrace the experience of being drawn into a more intimate encounter with you and a transformation of ourselves. We ask the intercession of the Blessed Mother, the prayers of St. John of the Cross, and all of our Carmelite saints. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you very much. So there are some impediments, some imperfections that a person who is in the pursuit of a deeper union with God will experience in the beginning. And um, John of the Cross in his Dark Night um, talks about the seven capital sins as they relate in a spiritual sense. And actually, this is a great um, discussion about how to prepare for confession as well as how to deepen our union with God. So um, long ago, I was taught this acronym to help me remember what the seven capital sins were. It was pale gas. So P for pride, A for avarice, L for lust, E for envy, G for gluttony, A for anger, and S for sloth. So it's a great way to remember it, pale gas. <laughs> but today we may do them in a little bit of a different order. And yet we are going to discuss how John of the Cross was telling us about how these capital sins um, in a spiritual sense are affecting and blocking the soul from progressing. So Mark, will you start us off with pride? The biggest one, in my opinion. <laughs> Well, I will. And I want to just, before um, we launch into that, just point out very quickly, as Father Haggerty does and so many others have who've been exposed to John of the Cross, John is not just a master of contemplation. He's also a master psychologist of the human psyche. He has a deep understanding, both because of his own experience and because of the considerable amount of spiritual direction that he provided literally to hundreds of sisters who were in the convents where he at various times was the spiritual director. Um, he has a great deal of wisdom of the movement and the inspirations of the human heart and understands very well how uh, individuals can get off course. And so, um, as you pointed out, uh, Francis, there are seven of these. 
uh, vices. And essentially, this phase of the spiritual journey and the uh, beginnings of contemplation are first about moving um, ourselves into that deeper union. And it means moving and purifying ourselves of what are largely uh, material or having to do with our sensory uh, nature. That's how we experience the world. And these things reside in our sensory uh, nature, but they are embedded in the spiritual nature. And that's why John um, is raising them for our consideration. And we'll talk about how we not only uh, uh, address them in the, in the sensory part of our of our nature, but also eventually in the spiritual part. And so, as you pointed out, the first of those is pride. It's not a surprise. We all do begin to develop some vanity at times. We seek affirmation. Um, and the way this expresses itself in the context of now the spiritual is a desire uh, to speak uh, about spiritual things. John of the Cross makes uh, reference to the fact that the people he's encountered suffering from this particular vice desire to be known as spiritual persons. It matters to them that others might acknowledge them uh, either for their uh, knowledge, uh, their ability to communicate these spiritual principles. These are areas, Francis, you and I have talked about that those of us who do a good deal of teaching or spiritual direction um, have to be very careful not to fall victim to, um, especially when we find ourselves being affirmed by those we may be providing instruction to. Um, there's a subtle trap there. Um, at the end of the day, everything that we communicate is gifted from the Holy Spirit. Um, it is something that God uses us as simply a medium for communicating. And we have to be aware of the fact that we ourselves are not the source of that knowledge or that inspiration uh, to move beyond these issues of pride and vanity. And when this pride uh, affects a soul regarding their spiritual director, I mean, if their spiritual director doesn't agree with them and what they think should happen, uh, what's best for their spiritual uh, advancement? I mean, because they have their own opinions. Um, well, sometimes they just like, okay, I'll find another spiritual director because I don't think you're leading me according to so to speak, my preferences, right? And right. that spiritual pride um, will actually keep them lingering behind and not advancing. Yeah. And to give an example of this particular case, uh, I remember being told once by a, a Carmelite friar with a considerable amount of experience that he was counseling a woman who uh, was very interested in his interpreting what she contended were visions and locutions that she was having and she would write them down in great detail and wanting him to provide her an analysis and uh what what um, he might interpret god was communicating to her and he said no i'm not going to do that because if that's happening a big if there i think uh but nonetheless if it's happening it's personal it's private it's between you and god it isn't for someone else to uh, discern for you and in fact this woman uh, as it turns out, was much more interested in revealing the fact that she ostensibly was having these communications. So these are examples, uh, perhaps a more egregious example of spiritual pride manifesting itself. In this case, uh, the spiritual advisor suggested that she seek other spiritual direction. And um, in fact, that's exactly what she did uh, with a bit of acrimony in the, in the severing of the relationship. So yeah, these are examples of where uh, our own uh, sense of self-worth about how we are progressing uh, in the spiritual journey can manifest themselves. What does John say to do in these cases? He always gives a remedy. Frequent confession. Frequent confession is the necessary remedy in the case of uh, these experiences of pride, because what we're going to hear in the confessional or in that face-to-face -face, uh, encounter with a, with a priest more often than not, we hope that's the case. Uh, will be uh, a revelation about how we are caught up in this. And he says, we have to avail ourselves of this naked exposure of our soul before God. You know, I think back, Francis, in my own spiritual journey so many years now, um, and I can confess not only my continued failures and shortcomings, but I can see instances where the person of 20 years ago, 10 years ago even, 
um, doesn't have the same inclination towards certain things that that uh, he might have uh, back then. And it, it, it's a grace. It's always a grace. But when we're going through that, when somebody reveals to us our prideful nature, our um, arrogance, our um, uh, seeking of uh, affirmation, it can be a very painful experience. John says, yes, it's supposed to be painful. <laughs> that's that's well, what purification is. And we so often, um, we want to delude ourselves or we want to make excuses for ourselves or we want to minimize our faults, make them so that, you know, they're insignificant, no big deal. And of course, that's uh, exactly what's going to hold us back, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, you made the reference of changing spiritual directors. John says, our confessors are the same. Sometimes if we feel very uh, much wounded by our um, failure in uh, uh, committing a particular sin, we won't go to our normal confessor or spiritual director. We'll, we'll find somebody else. Somebody, you know, we might go over to the next town and, and slip in on a Friday afternoon to get confession because that's not really who we are. But in truth, um, we need to, uh, again, expose our soul before God. That's what the confessional is for. Uh, and we need to accept that we're not perfect. We're not saints at that point. And, you know, sometimes I know there's the, the, the temptation that, well, say you messed up, right? And you're like, well, I don't want to tell my normal confessor that one. So I'm going to go to a different one so that yeah. I can reveal to them my misery without my regular confessor knowing. And so that, again, is a sense of pride. Um, but really, we should realize that we are um, a miserable bunch. We are in need of purification. We are um, in need of grace to help us. And um, so if we have that temptation to hide our sins from our regular confessor, uh, that's exactly something you need to confess to that person, right? Yeah. <laughs> to that priest. Yeah. Yep. We, the counter, of course, to this pride is humility, and we are in need of greater humility. And the way we acquire it is to allow ourselves to be exposed for uh, those areas in our life that we're still subject to pride. And well, of course, moving on to the second. Let, let me just make up a, a yeah, point yeah, before you move on. So uh, an indication that you do have the humility is that you never think you're good enough. You never think you've done enough. You you don't think that your deeds are perfect or worthy of all recognition and praise, right? Right, right. You and not in a self, you know, sort of, um, oh, I don't know, self-denigrating way. In other words, oh, I'm a terrible person. But we, we if we heard um, praise or received praise for our particular uh, knowledge or a, a witness we might give, we, we would be almost uncomfortable with it. I think that's what you're trying to communicate. It's yes, we don't take uh, uh, pride. We don't uh, seek affirmation and we don't relish uh, in the experience of the affirmation. We're always aware. No, 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 no. If there's any evidence of, of uh, virtue, it is a gift from God. It is a, a grace um, that he has afforded me. And yes, we have to practice humility for that grace to be imparted. But um, But we always acknowledge that. All right. So the second imperfection that's often seen in those who are on this way of perfection, right, mm -hmm. is spiritual avarice. So talk to us about spiritual avarice. And that's yeah. a word we don't hear a lot. So tell us what avarice means in our yeah, normal so, everyday terms. So avarice is um, this idea uh, of accumulating Let's in the material and the sensory vein, accumulating things to ourselves, right? We we want to have more of something, more of something, more. We we, we never seem to be able to satiate our desire uh, for the accumulation of material possessions or uh, you know titles for our our reputation, what have you. That's in the sensory, the material, the worldly sense. As John says. Uh, it transfers, these very vices transfer to the spiritual. What does it look like in the spiritual? He gives us a quick um, explanation of this from the dark night. He says, many of these souls never have enough of hearing counsels or learning spiritual maxims or keeping them and reading books about them. They spend more time in these than striving after mortification and the per perfection rather of interior poverty to which they are obliged. 
Furthermore, they weigh themselves down with over-decorated images and rosaries. They now put these down, now they take up others. And at one uh, moment they are exchanging and at the next they're re-exchanging. Now they want this kind, now they want another. And they prefer one cross to another because of its elaborate design. So he's sort of running the gamut of a whole bunch of things that I suspect many of us have fallen victim to. Again, Francis, um, I know I have my predisposition to certain rosaries and uh, perhaps to certain uh, crucifixes. And we, as you well know, together have pursued many uh, books and knowledge and information and conferences. Now, again, the caution Let's not presume in and of themselves that these things are bad. But what John is saying is if our uh, motivation is simply the accumulation of more and more knowledge, more and more rosaries, finer rosaries, uh, um, you know, the uh, the attire that goes with our order of Carmel for constantly seeking ways to, you know, dress ourselves and improve the, the image that we have as representative of Carmel. Um, these things in and of themselves um, can become uh, vices uh, because they are the focus rather than, as he points out, mortification and the perfection of interior poverty. We right. have to have wisdom here and knowledge to understand. That's why we ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. But this is something we certainly can fall subject to. And one of the ways that plays out, too, is like you talk about a having a, a an attachment rather to these particular possessions and mm -hmm. i see that play out when it's like well i need to i need to pray with this statue of the blessed mother because this ugly one over here um no i'm not going to be able to pray well or i need this particular rosary or this medal or you know it, it's like it's the only way that you can pray is if you go through this material thing and and that's just not the case the right. case of true prayer is that these are images which we may use to to help lift us up in prayer, but the image itself is is not the vehicle of prayer. It is your desire to to be in union with God, to um, speak to God, and so it shouldn't be any attachment to an object. Um, yeah, to or, or the continued accumulation of multiple instances of that object or even going back to the um uh, the books and literature and conferences you know we read a good book from a particular author and we go oh, i've got to have all of their books i've got to have everything that they've ever, ever written um this is uh, uh the the you know uh, most explicit example of avarice i have to acquire 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 rather than let me enter into the depth of this one text that has been beneficial for me and know that if I can just hold to that and practice that mortification and interior poverty, that is um, what the Lord is really calling me to. And so um, if avarice is the um, uh, the vice, then uh, uh, magnanimity, giving these things away, not being uh, attached to objects and so forth, uh, would be the cure that John would recommend for us and not, uh, not being frustrated when we're asked to do that. Or as a way of the Lord in our passive experience of this, if we have that favorite rosary, he might allow it to break or he might allow us to lose it. Or use a plastic one, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know John across talked about, uh, he knew a person who prayed with bees made out of bones from the spine of a fish. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it was the vehicle of prayer. It wasn't the object that helped the prayer. It was, it was right. the um, means yeah. by which somebody did go to deeper prayer okay yeah. so let's go to the next um imperfection which would be spiritual lust yeah and this is somewhat similar again we're we're wanting to um encounter things here though it's not material object this is really the, he uses the word lust very deliberately there are three instances of this um the pleasurable activity for the interior spirit so we enter prayer on a given day and we have a wonderful experience of consolation, of peace, of uh, love, whatever the, the um, you know, sort of manifestation of it is. And then instantly 
we become attached to that. And the next time we enter prayer, we say, oh, I've got to recreate that experience. I've got to have that experience again. What did I do? Uh, what time did I pray? And where was I? And, you know, we're trying to do whatever we can not to encounter God, but to recreate an experience for ourselves. And that's the whole point. Maybe God this next time is going to allow us to feel that, you know, woundedness that we ha had spoken about in um, in pride, uh, rather than, uh, you know, a sense of consolation. Maybe he's going to allow us to feel remorse for our sinfulness over the course of the, say, preceding 24 hours prior to our next prayer session. And we won't be um, the beneficiaries of a, a feeling of uh, peace or, or whatever it is we experience. We develop an affection for that encounter, that experience, and that's what he calls spiritual lust. He says um, there are various causes for this. Of course, the first, the pleasurable activity that we talked about. The second is that the devil can uh, impart this to us. We might ask, well, why would the devil ever allow us to have a pleasant experience in prayer? Simply because uh, he knows that we may become attached to it. And so uh, if it's something we become attached to, then we he draws us away from God um, and, and he um, achieves his objective, which is to to uh, get us out of the, the deep intimacy of prayer. And then there's the third cause, uh, impure feelings in prayer, uh, right? St. John of the Cross is the fear uh, of these. And we can have these. We can have, for example, in the higher stages of prayer, uh, sort of, you know, because our, our soul is still attached very intimately to our body. We can have experiences that are not unlike uh, an intimate encounter with another person. We can feel urges and so forth. John tells us very openly, these things happen. He says, it's okay. Don't be discouraged by it. Don't be uh, uh, set off course by it. It's simply a manifestation of the intimacy of the sensory part of our nature with the spiritual part. And as the spiritual part is encountering something uh, very magnificent, the body gets involved. And later in our spiritual journey, he says, God will purify us of this, but don't become discouraged if you should happen to have an experience like this. Um, don't also become attached to it. Obviously, that's that's his main point. So mm -hmm. these are ways that we can experience spiritual lust. His caution is simply don't become attached to it. Um, temptations of impurity uh, are inclined to take great satisfaction in human consolation and friendships. That's a natural thing. But in the spiritual journey, we have to sort of disabuse ourselves of that lust for um, these sort of manifestations and and seek only God, not that uh, desire for something that we that we are are after in prayer. Right, you don't want to have an inordinate inordinate attachment to another person. We always have to keep our priorities straight. That God is always first, and. Just a comment on this spiritual lust, too, about these feelings that may occur. You know, if, if we have beautiful consolations that come from God, sometimes they will express themselves bodily right. in a way that we don't want because they right. get us thinking in a, in a different direction. And then again, that's where the evil one might want to, you know, keep us focused on that physical sensation rather than on the love that is coming from it. And so it is important to to just let that go, to not focus on it. Or maybe it's a memory from your past life, maybe uh, in your past that you have had a lot of uh, encounters with people that were not in right order. And right. so, you know, that might come up into your prayer in your memories. And so John of the Cross it's very frank and discussing this so that we know how to deal with it. And right. it's important for us to to realize that these things can happen and, um, you know, to take note of it and, and, you know, to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Right. All right. So um, now we go on, right? Can we? Right. The, the right. next capital vice that he introduces, again, one we'd be very familiar with in the century the material part of our nature is anger. And we might ask ourselves, well, how could we experience anger in a spiritual context? Well, when some of these things that we've just discussed before are removed uh, from our experience, and if we indeed um, had 
uh, fallen uh, subject to avarice or lust, and we're going to talk about gluttony in just a moment. Um, the removal of these things, which is God's intention, again, he's moving from the sensory to the spiritual, and that transition, we, we should have laid this foundation first as well, because uh, I thought Father Haggerty did a good job of this. He talks about these, the very chapter we're reading from, the, the barricades on the road to contemplation. And what's happening here, Francis, as you so well know, is that God is uh, beginning the transformation from our natural sensory way of dealing with our environment, dealing with the world. I said this earlier, this is how we encounter the world. But we know that these um, deficiencies, these vices are rooted most deeply within our spirit. And so in order to heal us of them, God's going to have to move from the sensory into the spiritual. There's both the active component of that, we call the active nights, and then the the uh, passive nights where God begins to do that work. Here we're sort of transitioning through that. And when we encounter this transition, it is the point, quite frankly, where John spends uh, perhaps the vast majority of his writing uh, in each of his major works. It is also the point where most people lose their way. This is where the greatest risk occurs because we're not used to moving to the spirit. We're not used to being uh, sort of animated by our spiritual nature. And so um, getting back on track, one of the experiences of beginning to lose those uh, sensory uh, satisfactions is that we experience anger, spiritual anger. We're not upset at a person for something they've done to us. We're literally upset over the fact that, well, I can't hold on to that lustful encounter. I can't, uh, you know, acquire all the books of that author. I can't have the rosary I wanted. And so I, I become... Um, very uh, upset about that, a certain indiscreet zeal uh, for the pursuit of those things begins to surface. I, Another I, benefit. Say, yeah. I, I yeah. remember one of these situations that just come to my mind in the movie of St. Bernadette. Uh, at the end of the movie, the old nun is really upset with Bernadette why should God choose you to give you these visions and and everything why are you you know because she had you know her eyes were open with toothpicks I'll never forget this and so to me that was an uh, an issue of anger and indiscreet zeal thinking that she was better than Bernadette so lords of virtue Um, and so the anger that that she had uh, because she thought she was better suited for revelations from God and the Blessed Mother than St. Bernadette was. Yeah. And, and we have to allow God's wisdom, his timing. He works with each soul very independently. Uh, this is a much larger topic, which frankly I'm, I'm writing a reflection on now. But this idea uh, that God fits our crosses exactly to us. And we sometimes find ourselves in the case of the nun in the story you referenced. Francis, exactly this scenario, we find ourselves going, why didn't I get that grace? Or conversely, why couldn't I have gotten that person's cross? That seems so light. That seems so easy, you know, Uh, but we are not living that person's experience. And God is not chosen to to um, either uh, grace us or challenge us with somebody else's experience. Ours is uniquely fitted to us. And so one of the ways, by the way, that that then manifests itself um, is that we can become critical of other people and the spiritual path that they're on. John uses the term lords of virtue. Well, look at those people over there. They're clearly not experiencing what I'm experiencing. So, um, you know, how can they be uh, on the path that I'm on? How can they understand the depth of suffering I'm enduring or whatever way that may manifest itself? And he says, in fact, that these individuals become so impatient about these imperfections that they discover uh, both in others and uh, ultimately in themselves, that they, um, they they become unbearable. It, it, it's impossible to live with them. You know, so often I've told this story, I remember on many occasions having the uh, opportunity to live within a monastic setting. And people I've heard say so often, oh, if I could just live in a monastery, I know I'd be saintly. If I could just live alone out in a cave somewhere. I know I could grow in in virtue so quickly. And my counsel to them is give it a try. 
give it a shot and see how it works for you. You know, it's not as easy inside those hallowed walls as, as many people think it is. And yeah, what do. often happens is a manifestation of anger, either, as you suggest, over somebody being gifted with something we thought we should have been given or over the burden and the cross that we have to bear. Um, so spiritual anger, something certainly to be avoided. And we really need patience to traverse this Mount Carmel, right? And, of course, the attitude necessary in contrary to um, this kind of spiritual anger would be meekness. Exactly right. Exactly right. There's always a a, a virtue that corresponds in opposite to the vice, right? So um, that's what we need to work toward. Yeah. Well, the next one he talks about is spiritual gluttony. Um, This is not so much what we talked about in avarice, where we're trying to acquire um, multiple things, or in lust, where we're looking to encounter some sort of physical manifestation. But this is striving for what uh, Father Haggard refers to as spiritual savor um, in something. I, I savor that spiritual experience. Again, it may be related to a sense of consolation, of peace, of I'm experiencing love, but it's basically the soul um, seeking after the satisfaction that they take in uh, their pursuit of God rather than simply pursuing God, however he chooses to manifest himself. So gluttony is very specific to striving for a spiritual savor, a spiritual satisfaction, rather than simply purity and practice of discretion in the way that we uh, seek God and the way that he chooses to avail himself uh, to us. And of course, here, um, one of the things that John recommends is obedience, obedience in the practice of the penances that they are given, Uh, consistency in the uh, recitation of the office for us Carmelites. Of course, we recite the morning and evening prayer. Uh, our devotion to the Blessed Mother must be practiced in some way. So whatever the rule uh, requires of a particular community, and we should all have a rule of life, by the way, it's a great opportunity to mention, it's very good to have a rule of life. The best way to do that is obviously join a community. Uh, but uh, failing that, you can create your own rule of life. And there are a number of sources for helping uh, design that. But um, basically having a plan and being consistent with it is a way to overcome this gluttonous uh, acquisition of savor and satisfaction for ourselves in our spiritual practices. So in essence, people who are caught up in this spiritual gluttony are people that think that gratifying and satisfying themselves is actually serving and satisfying God. So whatever right. pleases them pleases God. So they're basically saying, you know, God's going to conform to what I think rather than I should conform to what God's will is. Right. And he uses a very specific example, by the way, um, the receipt of communion. You know, some people get to the point where they say, I must receive communion every day. It has to be done every single day. And a way that God may purify us of that, as admirable a thing as it is to receive spiritual communion, if we're doing it because we're being fulfilled by it, we're seeking the satisfaction God may uh, create circumstances that preclude our ability to receive on a given day or a number of days and see how we react to it. Of course, he knows how we're going to react, but it's for our own benefit. If we find ourselves getting angry and frustrated, well, why can't I work out this schedule such that I would be able to get to mass? Now we know we're suffering from gluttony. It's the pursuit of a particular spiritual desire for our own benefit. And it manifests itself, as we have just described, in an angry reaction to our inability to um, find that savor and that satisfaction for ourselves. And and isn't that also the case when you do receive communion and you expect to have some kind of sensation, yeah, or light or heat, or now you're now you're you become worldly <laughs> with yeah. those kind of expectations and. Yeah. And Jesus, the Lord, is trying to um, wean us from these kind of uh, lower levels (laughs) so that we will love him and adore him without being dependent on these more exterior things. 
Yeah. In fact, John says in the dark night of these souls, as a result, they judge very poorly of God and fail to understand that the century benefits, those which they desire, are the least among those that the blessed sacrament bestows. For the invisible grace it gives is far greater, a far greater blessing. And he says, uh, I'm sorry, Father Haggerty says, we have to give up this craving for feelings and delight and satisfaction, even in our prayer. You know, prayer is not intended in all cases to give us a great sense of satisfaction, peace, joy, love, all these things I talked about. Yes, ultimately, those are the benefits of it. But in individual sessions of it, again, there may be times when the Lord has to work on us a little bit. And he's got to allow us to feel remorse for something that he's trying to purify us of. Is the prayer less successful because of that? Absolutely not. In fact, just the opposite. The prayer is even more successful because it's led to a purification. These consolations, these gluttonous desires don't often manifest a deeper desire for God or a purification. Um, they're rather uh, um, a, a continuing pursuit of that which satisfies satisfies us. So we have to be very careful about that. Yeah, and when we try to look at our life and we're doing a self-examination, um, we need to look at these cravings of ours and we need to practice self-denial. If, exactly. if we see a craving come up, a spiritual craving in particular in all these areas, um, or a, a, a desire for a sensory experience, then that's a red flag. Yes. And that's when we need to go to self-denial um, and and wait upon the Lord because what he desires for us is what's best for us. And these other things, if we... If we get stuck on the sensory and on um, what we think is best, we're so limited in our understanding of what this is all about. And John, John of the Cross is really trying to help us grow in this um, mortification in order to be open and receptive to God, who is pure spirit. Right. Well, he gives the last two. You almost get the sense, Father Haggerty suggests this as well, that John was kind of running out of steam when he wrote uh, this particular section. And he gives these last two uh, together and then does identify them and their uh, consequences independently. But the last two are spiritual envy. I think we can discern that fairly quickly. We'll talk about it more. And spiritual sloth, what I've heard uh, um spoken of as sloth. Some people use the word sloth, uh, but fundamentally it's this um, sluggishness about fulfilling our spiritual responsibilities. But look at uh, let's look at these together. Um, first, he says, spiritual uh, sloth, weariness experienced in spiritual exercises and prayer when the soul seems to receive nothing for its efforts. And this is what we just talked about. You know, if we're engaged in spiritual exercises, prayer, uh, acts of charity, uh, mortifications, we're expecting that there'll be some corollary benefit that we uh, will accrue because of that. Well, that's not the case always. In fact, we just read earlier, oftentimes the greatest benefit is that which is, is deep within the interior, which would not manifest itself in some sensory experience or satisfaction. And so when um, we begin to have this weariness experience in spiritual exercises uh, and prayer and because the soul receives nothing. We become very slothful, very slothful. I keep using both versions because I know I've heard them about equally. Um, I don't know if you have a preference, Francis, for how you pronounce that word. <laughs> well, I said sloth. So <laughs> okay, but All right, let's use matter. let's use sloth. But um, it, again, it's this idea. Uh, that because we're not receiving what we had hoped for, what we expected even, um, it, it dampens our motivation and our uh, desire. And then, of course, um, very closely aligned with that is this spiritual envy, which is I uh, desire uh, what somebody else appears to be experiencing. And again, I said this with regard to crosses or um, graces. Uh, we look to another person and we begin to envy what it is that their particular uh, spiritual journey uh, toward God has afforded them. And we think, oh, that's the way I want it to go. That's the, the experience I wanted to have. And we begin to envy, envy their spiritual uh, experiences in much the same way we might have envied their car or their house or 
you know, their their uh, clothing or what have you. And it it it's that keep up with the Joneses thing, that negative competitive spirit that we can see all over the United States anyway. Um, we need to make that, um, you know, when we talk about spiritual challenges, it's not to make um, one person in a race to beat the others to make them superior, but to hasten everybody's desire to grow closer to God. That's the right. whole point. Right. And again, I'll, I'll emphasize this because um, it, it's an important point. God has a very specific plan for my spiritual journey, as he does for you and for each of our listeners. The objective is not to try to um, align my desires with what somebody else's path might happen to be. That's exclusively for them. We know nothing about uh, their interior life. That's true of, of most people as regards, uh, uh, you know, my understanding of their interior life. We don't know how God may be working. We don't know what his timing is. So all of these things um, um, sort of, uh, you know, argue against the idea uh, that we should envy somebody else's spiritual experience or the path that God has set them on. Um, and again, as I say, when we become discouraged by our lack of uh, some sort of uh, satisfaction in our spiritual journey, uh, we begin to become rather slothful. We, we, we don't fulfill our obligations. We, uh, we begin to believe exactly uh, what we're arguing against, which is, well, the uh, engagement on my part in the office or the rosary or uh, daily attendance should have returned this benefit to me. And in fact, God says, the benefit that it will return to you is what I desire it return to you. Uh, and that may be a deeper purification, which though, it may not result in satisfaction uh, in that instance, will nonetheless ultimately redound to your benefit in a much greater way. So these are the things that we need to be sensitive to. It seems like all of these spiritual vices that we've talked about have the theme of self-willfulness and attachment, being yeah. attached to, to feelings or things or people. And of course, St. John the Cross is a master at mortification, <laughs> but this yeah. is for a good reason. And yeah. that is to get us up that Mount Carmel in as quick a, a way as we can. Um, yeah. And so uh, hopefully as we discuss St. John the Cross, people will warm up to him and his great love for us by sharing us all these ways that we get caught and that um, how he wants to teach us to be open and to respond to God's call, even if it's in um, in an aridness, because, oh, guess what? He wants to take you into deeper prayer than what you were used to. We're going to get past discursive uh, meditation and go into a deeper kind of prayer. And really, um, we don't get a lot of teaching on this. Um, most people are still talking about, you know, meditation techniques and we don't really get a lot of conversations from the pulpit. And I mean, I understand because they're speaking to a wider audience. But all the more reason for those souls who are really pursuing this life of prayer, this life of union with God, that they learn to understand what can happen and what are the, um, in this case, the imperfections and attachments that keep us from progressing. Right. And, and, and very well said. You know, again, the title here is The Barricade on the Road to Contemplation. These are impediments. Must they be removed perfectly before we enter contemplation? No. Uh, some of them won't be removed until we are drawn into that intimate union with God. But you're also so right in saying this is really largely about self-love, self-absorption, focus on self. Um, you know, there's a constant litany in, in Carmelite theology about um, removing a self from the equation, right? And what do we replace it with? A desire to serve God alone, to please God. And if he chooses that, that for me, the, the path is one strewn with thorns and crosses, then so be it. You know, we, we don't judge our progress on the basis of our individual satisfaction in our religious practices. We judge it on the fact that we are doing in obedience what we have been called to do. And again, for us as Carmelites, that's clear with the benefit of our rule. So God alone to leave ourselves empty, unimportant in our own estimation, we have to give ourselves away, strip ourselves, 
and remove this self-preoccupation. That's the road to contemplation. Well, if anyone wants to go to the source, um, you will find St. John of the Cross's discussion of these seven spiritual vices in his Dark Night, Book One. So that's where you would find St. John of the Cross's um, discussion and explanation of it in detail. So now we're going to move on to what Father Haggerty calls in Chapter 8, the dawning light of the gift of contemplation. So this basically is what are some preliminary things that we need to consider uh, before we actually get into the signs of uh, infused contemplation? So um, a matter of critical importance for St. John the Cross that he said was extremely necessary to so many souls is the kind of harm that is done to souls who do not recognize the initial symptoms of contemplative graces, and therefore they they don't change the way they pray. So one thing I would say to our listeners is, if you're praying the same way today as you were praying when you were like in high school, if you're praying the same, and it's been 20 or 30 years or 50, um, then, then something might be askew here because... God is going to be changing the way we pray as we progress. Am I right in saying that? Yes, absolutely. Again, the prayer is going to move to um, one of uh, less, uh, at least on every occasion, less satisfaction, uh, relying on our own imagination, meditation, for example, our own reading, our own thought patterns. Uh, These are all necessary, preliminary, but necessary to lay a foundation. What's the foundation? I am a child of God. He loves me. He knows me by name. He's called me to a higher purpose. I'm an eternal being living in eternity now. All of these are elements of what the foundational work of meditation, of vocal prayer even, uh, lays before contemplation is possible. But now we're moving to the interior. Um, What is actually occurring here is a summons in grace to a cross. It's moving through the threshold of the dark night to a much deeper interior purification and to do so in silent prayer, more often than not in silent prayer. And John does stress, as Father Haggerty points out, without good guidance, it's unlikely that a soul will make the necessary modifications to allow this transition to happen. Now, John is particularly um uh, adamant in his uh discussion about spiritual direction i just want to point this out um and he says both the importance of it the need of it but also the recognition that even in his time uh and in his environment which was of course a monastic religious environment good spiritual direction was hard to find and so it helps to avail ourselves of you know, forums like this and the literature that we're talking about and John of the Cross and Father Haggerty, the modern sort of analysis of it, uh, Edith Stein, uh, Teresa Benedicta of the Cross by Carmelite name, uh, and her writing, so many others who wrote about John very well, uh, to help sort of make him um, approachable. It's important that we expose ourselves to this. If we pray seriously, if we pray seriously, and this is an absolute necessary statement, If we pray seriously, we will be invited into these deeper encounters. There is a transition, a transformation. And as you point out, Francis, we should not expect that we will be praying the same way, um, you know, now or or five years from now uh, that we did historically because God is moving us in prayer. So St. John Paul II, Pope St. John Paul II, in one of his encyclicals talked about you know, we need to understand that prayer is intended to progress, to move. It shouldn't remain static. And so this is what's happening here. And we need guidance. We need knowledge and wisdom to, to be able to do that. And St. John the Cross would see that so many people were 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 praying and some were trying to live this life of purification all, all alone or with poor instruction. And so he's seeing it as a great need to talk to them, to write about it, to explain um, what some of these uh, 
roadblocks are because otherwise they they remain confused and even paralyzed in their prayer and even regressing in their prayer. Right. So um, very important to to have some instruction at this point. Yeah. He also says, uh, this is Father Haggerty now, that once we begin this movement, we're going to enter uh, sort of a phase of prayer from which we will not return. In other words, some people will enter this dry period, let's say, in their meditation. And we're going to talk about in future weeks the three uh, critical um, elements of being able to identify that we are, in fact, being drawn into contemplation. Don't want to introduce those now. But he, he mentions, Father Hagney mentions the fact that when we begin this process, there really is no going back. We're not going to say in, in you know six to nine months, uh, beginning to work on contemplation. Well, I'm going to go back now and do my regular meditation. That's where I felt more comfortable. Once we've entered this phase, it's it's a sort of a you know go or fall fall back. You don't you don't really choose to to go back to uh, the more childish forms. Paul talks about more childish forms of of prayer. Um, we have to mature. We have to move forward into the deeper levels of contemplation. So we're going to be invited into an a different kind of prayer, a new experience of prayer, unlike the meditation or the discursive prayer that we've done in the past. And so now the soul needs to um, learn about God's presence of concealment. When we talked a lot about God and his hide and seek game and to hide where God's hiding. Um, So this is this is coming into play now as we get into these initial steps of infused contemplation but it also um the person the person who's going through this transition beginning it they feel a real sense of poverty in their prayer because i mean if if you don't have the instruction you don't know what's next and so you're you're just kind of like flailing out there yeah and the, the word that's going to continue to repeat itself again and again is a word we should become familiar with, abandonment, abandonment to God. Now, that doesn't mean abandonment of our responsibilities or our obligations or, uh, you know, to take care of ourselves uh, physically and so forth. But it means abandonment of the circumstances, primarily around our prayer, but even within our life, because God is going to allow things to happen in our life as well, in our relationships and our health and in ways that we uh, uh, use our time. He's going to allow these things to be transitioned and transformed in ways that make them much more conducive to what he's trying to do with us in an interior way uh, through our prayer. And again, we have to abandon ourselves, most especially in prayer, to what? To God's will. It will bring about suffering. It'll bring about interior darkness. Uh, it'll bring about a need for great faith. John says, faith is the proximate means to union with God. We have to practice great faith here, great trust in God. We have to let God become the master of our soul. We have for so long up to this point, if we're in this phase of transition, we have been the masters of our prayer. That's just the simple reality. We've used our intellect. We've used the sensory um, uh, experiences that we've just talked about. But now we have to move away from those and not depend on them and certainly not demand that they comply with our expectations. This dying out of feelings and of tangible satisfactions is the context for the purifying experience in prayer that will um, be one indication among a number of others of the possible onset of contemplative graces. Those are actually the words of Father Haggerty, and I think it's well spoken. Um, we shouldn't be discouraged at, at the loss of feeling, at the loss of um, um, sensory experiences. We're being asked to move into a terrain that is unfamiliar to us, the interior, but it is the center of our being and the source of purification and ultimately transformation that will uh, 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 prepare us for union with God. We should stay focused on that. John said it so many times in the first many chapters, Francis, these Instruction is for those who want to enter contemplation with a desire for transforming union with God. And this is the necessary pathway. And John of the Cross would 
would label this period that we're talking about the dark night of the senses because it's more of the exterior purification as opposed to what will come later, the dark night of the spirit. Now, if you want to lay that on to the interior castles, which I like to do, I like to put them all together. This would be like in the fourth mansion territory, the third to the fourth, where, where these transitions start to take place. Right. And you said a, a word that's also important along with this abandonment. And, and we're going to experience it. And the word that will come to our minds is poverty, a sense of poverty, of of loss, of um, you know, I can't hold on to things anymore. I, I don't have firm footing anymore. I I feel, again, I feel like I'm losing things. That's more akin to poverty. Uh, but it is just the path that we should be on at this phase as we uh, begin the dawning light of the gift of contemplation, as Father Haggerty puts it in this particular chapter. Um, the goal, of course, um, is to subordinate to the more primary desires this interior pursuit of prayer, an opening of a door in our cell to a more um, firm and, and steady path towards union with God. That's what we're talking about here. Um, we will feel uncomfortable. We won't have maps for this journey. That's a, a perhaps as well as uh, a, a we can describe it regarding uh, our thought of travel. We will not have maps. We'll be entering the desert and we won't necessarily know the way. And all God will be saying to us is keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. I've given you the, the means. What are the means? The sacraments, prayer, mortification, our works of charity. All of these are part of our rule, Francis, for you and I as Carmelites. We keep practicing those. And in the the dark night of the desert, when all we have to navigate by are the stars, we don't really even have that. What we have is I'm abandoning myself to God and I accept the poverty of my condition and know that eventually God will come to meet me in this darkness and he will draw me forward on the path that he has already set for me. It's also a great reason for us to rejoice, right? Yeah, so rejoicing in the suffering of the purification, but it's because God loves the soul that God will wean them from these other things to draw him into a purer faith. Yeah. And again, not to minimize this loss of um, the comfort we might previously have experienced in meditation. But I'll say, if we try to turn back and rely exclusively on that, it doesn't mean that it can't be a preliminary component of our next prayer session that we might want to start with a little bit of reading, a little bit of meditation. Teresa advocates that. She always had a book with her, she said. But at some point, even in that 30-minute session, 60-minute session, 90-minute session of prayer, we have to let ourselves go. We have to enter silence. We have to close our eyes. If you want to um, you know, be very specific about it, uh, perhaps put ourselves in a darkened room, and we just have to let ourselves enter the silence and be in God's presence and let him begin to do the work. God now leaves us, in fact, in such darkness that we don't really know the way to go. And our discursive imaginings, our meditation will only bring us backwards. They won't bring us forward. God's doing something new in us at this point. Yeah, so this transitional period, it's its leading to a new depth. And, you know, if we're if we're trying to keep going back to revive those old feelings, those old consolations that that we've got, then it might be there is a certain sense of self-seeking, you know, to try to to get to those feelings rather than, you know, advancing. This is really this path of of faith. And it's very important for us to um, surrender and trust, as you said, Mark. So that the faith that we have is taken to a higher realm. It's not caught by these sensory things. And uh, John of the Cross is making it clear that, you know, anyone who is spending time in prayer um, and is generous in their life with God, that God will be even more generous to them. And this is the normal progression in the path of prayer to be invited 
to these infused contemplative graces. Now, often we talk about extraordinary mystical graces. You know, uh, you can think like a levitation, locutions, visions. But this is a mystical gift. It's, um, it's a mystical grace, but it is a normal one on this path for anyone who is striving for this greater relationship with God. Right. We talked about that in a previous program. We're going to address it again when John cautions us about becoming attached to those experiences. But they, as you point out, Francis, are perfectly normal. They may be God's way of choosing uh, to bring about a purification, a healing, a revelation, an impartation of knowledge and any one of those uh, mystical experiences, what we so often refer to as extraordinary, but nonetheless, in this context, are really quite ordinary. Yeah, well, what, my point, though, I think I don't know that I was clear. My point is, is that there is extraordinary mystical graces and then there's the ordinary mystical and, yeah. and infused contemplative prayer is on the ordinary path. So Correct. It's not yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, the, the primary requirement, Father Haggerty points out, uh, for movement, for progress here, and for crossing this threshold into this new experience um, is, first of all, obedience, a desire to please God, and a great reluctance to offend him. These are three major components. Obedience to, as I've mentioned a number of times, our rule uh, and the particular obligations that we've made throughout the course of a day or a week for prayer, participation in the sacraments, and so forth. Um a a um, true desire to please God. Again, the very opposite of pleasing ourselves would be to be pleasing God. And so everything we engage in uh, should be with that end in mind. And when we experience trials and tribulations and setbacks, we go, this must be pleasing to you, God. And we move forward, right? If we've given it over and in faith, we've accepted that God is playing his hand, then we say, yes, in the midst of my trial, I am pleasing you, God. And that is enough for me. And then, of course, the reluctance to offend him. What I really like is the way that this chapter ends, and that is with uh, emphasis on the fact that we are all called to this. This is not unique. This is the point I thought you were making, Francis, on the extraordinary. This particular um, call to contemplation, uh, to transforming union, is the is the absolute uh, destiny of every soul, of every created human soul. It's what God created us for, transformation and love. And so uh, Father Haggerty rattles off a whole series of, of, of different characters. The religious sister, faithful to following her vows. The seminarian for the priesthood, who's serious about prayer, study, virtue. The married person, devout and sacrificial in love to their spouse and their family. These souls, all of them, are candidates for the onset of contemplative prayer if they give themselves over to a commitment to silent prayer. We are all called to this. It is our destiny. We can wait. This process is going to happen one way or the other. It's something we call purgation or purgatory. It's inevitable. It will happen. But God has invited us to it here in this life. John's very balanced in recognizing and acknowledging very few people will pursue this. But those of uh, you who are listening to our conversation here today, who may have begun to familiarize yourself or may have been a longtime student of John of the Cross, you are clearly called to this in this life, this transforming union, this spiritual marriage, this intimacy with the living God is something we're all called to. And if you're hearing that call, God has a plan for you. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today and helping us understand this wisdom uh, and guidance of St. John of the Cross, especially regarding our growing in union with God and in a life of love and prayer. And so would you lead us in a closing prayer? Absolutely. Let's go ahead and bow our heads one more time. Place ourselves before the Lord. Heavenly Father, what we ask for most in closing today is not the fulfillment of our desires and our goals and our expectations, but rather just the desire to, do, to go down the path that you have laid out for us, to recognize that it's our individual path, and you have perfectly aligned both our circumstances, our demeanor, our attributes, our skills, everything in a way that will give us the opportunity 
to reach this end, even in this life. And so we ask, Father, that you increase, most especially our desire. Help us to want this as much as you want to draw us into this. We ask, as always, the intercession of the Blessed Mother, the prayers of St. John of the Cross, and all the saints in Carmel, to help all of us who are desirous of this union, to be given the time, the effort, the desire, and the strength to continue the journey. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. I love those spontaneous prayers of yours. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're here with me. Our next podcast in this series will focus on the signs, the actual signs that St. John the Cross teaches us to look for in your prayer that will indicate that God is calling you to receive, to be receptive to this gift of infused contemplation. So until we meet again, God bless you. Bye-bye.